0: well morning everybody glad you're all doing well glad you're here on a sunday And extra hour of sleep that's awesome right yep or are we all just tired because we had an extra hour of sleep i think that's kind of more where we're at so we are continuing in our, our series that uh, we started the year off uh talked about having balance in life in our relationship with god and we're kind of going to end the year right before christmas as we talk about having a passion for god uh we're looking specifically in our series of seven things that keep us from God and having a passion for him. And passion is important and we'll, we'll dig into that today like we did last Sunday. But there's a little story about a little boy and maybe somebody can relate with this when you were parents. Uh, this little boy was in the house and dad came home in the afternoon after working over a long day and dad's just exhausted and tired. So he kicks his shoes off, he puts his slippers on, he grabs a newspaper and he kicks back in his recliner and he's reading the newspaper and just kind of kind of relaxing before dinner, right? And his son comes up to him, he kind of walks up, and he goes, Dad? Dad kind of puts the paper down for a minute. He goes, yeah, son? He goes, Dad, I love you. Dad goes, son, I I love you too. Dad picks the paper back up, and he's reading the newspaper, and boy, just hasn't had enough yet. So he walks around the corner where Dad's looking at the newspaper, and he looks at the newspaper, and he sees Dad's arm, and he, he rubs Dad's arm, and he goes, Dad? Dad goes, yeah? He goes, Dad, I love you. His dad says, I, I, I love you too, son. He picks the paper back up and read again. Finally, after about 30 seconds, the son just comes bursting through the paper, grabs hold of dad's neck and just is loving and kissing him. He goes, Dad, I love you so much and I just have to do something about it. Yeah, you're waiting for a joke. There's no joke there, right? You're waiting for the punchline. It's just this boy had a passion for his dad. Can you remember that when your children would just run into your arms? just with love and intimacy, and they just wanted to be with you. Or, or maybe it's like with Tara goes through every time she walks up to our house where Sophie comes diving out the door, running up, and jumping on her to kiss her and see her and everything because she just has this passion for her. You know, this is a good thing to have passion, right? I mean, it's, it's awesome to be greeted with passion, and it's good to have that passion to reach out to, to desire someone or something so much. you just, you just like the little boy. You just have to do something about it. And that's where we're at in our series, that I hope that you have a passion in your spiritual life to where you're not just going, Dad, Father in Heaven, I love you, but you're like the little boy that's just like, you're like, Dad, Father in Heaven, I love you, and I just have to do something about it. I'm just compelled to act because I love you so much. But the reality is this. Too often in our Christian lives, we end up in a rut, right? Right? We end up in that rut kind of uh, what we call apathy, right? Where we just show up and it really doesn't matter. I mean, we're just kind of, yeah, we're here and we're in church and praise the Lord and we're doing this and we're doing that. and But there's really no emotion in it. There's no, there's no sense of urgency in our, our seeking God. There's, there's no passion to compel us just run near to God, to pray, to be in fellowship, to serve, to give. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been in that rut? And for most Christians, sometimes this ends up being a big rut. I mean, I kind of put it in my own little weird way of thinking, it's like, I could be taking the dog for a walk when I'm in this athlete place, Godzilla could fall from the sky and land on my house and destroy it, and I'm like, well, that figures, right? I mean, we just don't care, right? we get in that point and we just don't care apathy in the life of a christian i guess i could call it it's like COVID, right it's just horrible it just drains you of all energy it beats you down it makes you just want to sleep and go hide and pull the covers over your head and never see the world again and that's why as christians it's so important for us to get rid of apathy And to reignite that passion that we have for god that passion that drives us and compels us to just do something about our love for god well i looked up passion in the dictionary don't know if you've ever done that you can go home and do that this afternoon it's kind of fun i came up with two definitions for passion the first one was this a strong and barely controllable emotion Isn't that what passion is? A strong and, I mean, you just can't contain it. It's barely controllable. And the second definition I thought was interesting, because I think this ties into our lives as Christians, it was the suffering and death of Jesus. Remember, the passion of the Christ that died for us? And I believe for us in salvation, we live in both of these, or we should live in both of these. We have the passion of the Christ that is out of his passion and love for us, has gone to the point of death to redeem us, to restore us back in relationship with him. And in that, when we receive salvation from Jesus, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and we should have that passion for God. I still get jealous of brand new Christians in my life today, you know why? Because you ever see a brand new Christian They just can't shut them up about Jesus, right? They just wanna do this ministry, and this ministry, and this ministry. God is so good, and I read this today, and I heard this Christian music song, oh, it's just so wonderful, it's just like And I know that I feel that way, because inside, I'm actually a little jealous, right? Because they have something I know I should have, and I know I should be acting that way, but I'm not, because I'm kind of apathetic, and I'm in that rut. We have to let the Holy Spirit impact us and where the bible says do not quench the holy spirit who dwells within you it's not just about not letting the holy spirit move through you but it's also about not hindering the holy spirit from giving you that joy that passion that exuberance for life most christians i think would agree that kind of like peter remember what you know peter's impulsiveness to be like i love god so much i'd be willing to die for him I'm like, that's great, but my take is this, why don't you live for him now instead, right? We all are willing to die for Jesus because he died for us, but the issue is really more living for Jesus now than dying because we all know we're guaranteed to die. We all know that we will be born again in Christ and be resurrected, so the issue really isn't dying for Jesus. It's actually more living for Jesus now. And that's what we wanna focus on. I saw another article that had three statements about passion, and it made these three statements. First of all, nothing significant, nothing significant is ever done without passion. Would you agree? I mean, you see people with passion, whether it's it's in the Olympics, or it's a doing something, or a ministry, whatever it may be, and they're just driven to do that, right? Nothing. get in their way they overcome any obstacles they'll go to any extent to reach their goal so we know that in our life too nothing significant is ever done without passion and in our spiritual life it's another reason why passion is so important because it impacts the ministry and service that we do it impacts the love that we have for others doesn't it it impacts the reality of focusing my life on me Instead of focusing on Jesus and honoring him by blessing others. The second statement was this. This one I like because I can relate with it. Most winners in life are really just ex-losers who finally got a little passion. Right? Hi, I'm John. I've been a loser. Anybody else? Oh, we got a couple. Okay, good, good. We're at the right place. We're at the right meeting, right? Most winners in life are really just ex-losers who finally got a little passion. Isn't it interesting, the switch that passion can do when it encompasses you? And a third was this. I thought this was rather blunt, but we always kind of beat around the bush here anyway, right? So we're, we're ready for it. The worst bankruptcy in the world is the person who's lost their passion. as a Christian, I might put that second, because I think the worst thing in the world is the person that doesn't know Jesus and live for him. But to have the bankruptcy of no passion is a tragedy, isn't it? It's heartbreaking. And yet we see it all around us. That's why we are talking about reigniting our passion for God. The Bible calls us to have passion. As we looked at last week, we, we, real, we talked about the importance of passion. And we had our, our first thing, which was an unbalanced schedule, that if we're out of whack because we're working too much, or we're on the other side unbalanced, we're not working enough, we're just being lazy, that is a passion killer in our spiritual life because we need balance, right? We have to realize in this issue of passion, that if we don't have passion for for god well here's here's the reality it's not god's fault it's not god's fault because god has given us his son jesus the christ who has interceded for us he has brought us salvation then god has filled us with the holy spirit and given us every reason to have a passion he gives us his word to take in daily where the bible tells us again and again in all things be joyful be content be an overcomer love and love (laughs) unendlessly we realize that if we have dimmed out the passion in our life it's something we have to fix because god has done everything and given us every reason to have a passion so as christians if we're feeling that spiritual apathy if we're in that 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 rut of life, it's up to us to do something to get out of that rut, right? I mean, the temptation is this. I don't know if you've ever been driving down on a dirt road or something, little muddy, little slick, and you get stuck in a rut. Well, the temptation is just to walk away, right? Just forget this. I'm done. I'm not getting dirty. But the reality is, to get out of that rut, we got to get out of the car. we got to find a way to get that car out of the mud and out of the rut. And typically we're going to get a little dirty right so the emphasis is this if you're in that spiritual rut as a Christian be willing to get out and get a little dirty to get back to God and get back on the right path because it's so easy to get off the path isn't it we all know that and our verse for the day kind of puts it poignantly it says in James four seventeen. therefore to the one who knows the right thing To do and does not do it it's what it's sin and this is interesting because I think we as Christians do this all the time right we know what God's Word says we know that God says that one of the signs of being a Christian is to obey me right and we don't quite do it and the Bible puts that really clear that's called what sin and here's the crazy thing about Christians, we do this purposely, don't we? We purposely choose not to obey God, not to do what he's called us to do, and we think we're okay. Right? But God says that's sin. And the consequence of sin is what? Death. And I'll tell you what, when we don't do what God calls us to do, we experience in this way instead of having this passion for God, we're in that apathetic rut and we just don't care and to take it a step further we just won't do anything about it right that's a tragedy for the christian life if you want to turn with me i'm going to be in first peter 4 next and then we'll get to first corinthians 7 first peter 4 first corinthians 7 a lot of firsts this morning so let's take root at passion killers we were talking over the series about seven passion killers that keep us from God, because the reality is, before we can do something for God, we have to stop doing the things that keep us from him. Make sense? To do something for God, we have to stop doing those things that are keeping us from him and driving that passion away. So again, last week we looked at the first one, we made it all the way through one issue, and that was an unbalanced schedule. Again, working way too much just to stay busy, being taken advantage of, or being on the other end of being completely lazy and not doing anything that will attack our spiritual life to that point that we just again we get to that point we just don't care anymore right number two we start off this morning with this if you're taking notes an unused talent or an unused gift that God gives you first Peter four ten says this each of you has been blessed With one of God's many wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others so use your gifts well well if you're like most Americans when you receive a gift you think it's really for who for me (laughs) you give me a gift it's for me it's about me I get to keep it it's all mine nanny nanny boo-boo you can't have it you can't touch it you can't play with it it's mine right But God's word says something radically different to the Christian, radically different. He says, and again in 1 Peter 14, each of us, and for you good Greek scholars, when it says each of us in God's family, how many people does that mean? Every one of us, is anyone excluded? Nope, it's everyone. Each of you have been blessed with one of God's many gifts. And some of you have been blessed with multiple gifts to be used in what the service of others so use your gifts well here's the radical thing that when god gives us something god says in his word is it is better to give than to receive but he gives us stuff and he expects us to use those gifts not for our own personal gain not for our abundance not that we can can spiritually go bigger, 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 because we're just hoarding all this stuff in. But our gifts are to be used for what? For the service of others. That's where God makes the church to come in. But when we come to church, everyone has a different gift. And they're all good because they're all from God, they're all a blessing. And when we use all those gifts to intermingle together to bless each other, the church functions well. It's the same in a personal family. When everybody does their part, the family functions well. But when someone doesn't do their part, well, then there's anger in the house, right? There's frustration, there's resentment, and it creeps in. The talents and gifts that God has given you and me are not per se for our own personal benefit. They're for the benefit of other people. (coughs) My gifts are made for your benefit, and your gifts are made for my benefit, so that's why we're called to share. That's one thing I think this church does quite well. I don't think we have stingy spiritual people here. We have a group of Christians that as God has blessed us, we are more than willing to give to each other. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, I don't think we have a group of stingy Christians here that just show up and it's like, well, just what are you going to do for me? Well, what in the messages is there for me? I mean, that is there, but we come to church to draw closer to God, and we do that by serving. I love the pictures that we looked at in our last series about Jesus serving. It seems that everywhere he went, he served, didn't he? He would serve and he would heal those who were sick. He would serve by instructing those in a synagogue and other places on the rightness of God's word. We read about him on the road, about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He walked with them and he went to their house and then instead of them serving him, what did he do? he picked up the bread and he broke it, and he blessed it and he gave it to them and he served them. If we look at the image of Jesus the Christ, he is always serving. And as we live in that image, We're called to do the same, aren't we? To serve. So as God blesses you with gifts or talents or abilities or uh, crafts or whatever it may be, maybe you're a prayer warrior, maybe you're you're a great uh, roof fixer, who knows what you are? But whatever you are, you do it for the glory of God and to bless others, right? That's what it's for. We are called to serve. And I tell you what, when we are not serving, that's when that passion is extinguished. Because again, when we're not glorifying God by serving others, we're doing exactly the opposite. We're doing everything to gain for us, right? Remember the story of the rich man that had had a great bumper crop of grain in the Bible? And he's like, "Hey, I am living large. I'm going to build some more storehouses. I'm going to put all my grain in there to have wealth and riches for years." so I can relax and take it easy. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says that God spoke to him and said, you fool, tonight your very life will be required of you. And the imagery is this, that he gathered all this green so he could just relax in life and have it easy and take it off. The American dream, right? And the image is that God saying, I gave you that abundance because every good thing that you have as far as a Christian comes from me. I gave you that abundance not to keep for yourself, but to what? Share and meet the needs. We've talked again about when in the New Testament, when when the farmers would go out and glean and reap and, and harvest their field, those who were Christians who belonged to God were called to do what? Purposely leave some in the field. For those who had nothing to come and get we watch these videos about operation Christmas child and for us we gather we, we gather stuff for a while out of our abundance we put it in the room down the hall here and then once a year we gather we put it in boxes and ship it out and it's really not sacrificial is it it's out of our abundance but we see those kids on those videos that they're like I've never had something of my own This is the first time I had something of my own. And they're flabbergasted about the reality that someone who they don't even know across the world cared so much to put something together, to give to them that they'll probably never even meet. And then they have that gospel message and the impact of somebody across the world, loving them and giving to them when they have nothing impacts them so much that many of them come to salvation. That's amazing, isn't it? We have the ability to gather stuff to put in boxes to send out and let God do the miracle to change lives. That's what it is to use our talents. 1 Corinthians 7 17 tells us this each one should live his life with the gifts that the Lord has given him. So here's the encouragement in an unused talent or an unused gift. When's the last time you really buckled down and said, God, what is the giftedness you have given me to bless others? And Lord, how can I use that? I mean, the God says you don't have cause you don't ask, right? So if we're not sure what our giftedness is, is let's dig in the word of God and just say, God, what have you, how have you gifted me to bless others? because that's what I want to be about. I want to be about your kingdom. I want to have that passion that it's just fun to give and to serve. It's estimated that 70% of Americans are in jobs that really don't use any of their gifts or talents. and They don't even line up with what they like and what they're good at doing. 70%. Anybody in one of those jobs? And it's frustrating, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's just like, you're just doing stuff. I've had several jobs over the years where I'm like, you know, this is not for me. This is not working. I do not enjoy this. I don't look forward to going to work. I remember doing one for a year kind of little intermittent time in my life. And it was painful just to get up in the morning and go to work because I would go to that job and it was just that it was just a job to bring income in, to provide for my family. And it was just painful to be at work it was painful to get up and go there and you know the one thing i thought about all day long while i was there oh and it's five o'clock hitting because then i can go home right that was as good as my aspirations got for a year it's five o'clock look i'm counting down three minutes i gotta go home i gotta walk away from this 70 percent of americans are in jobs that really don't utilize their gifts their talents or their desires But in the church, I mean, we can't always change that. But in the church, as we come together in fellowship, we can change that by asking, God, what do you have for me? What have you blessed me with and given me with to bless others? How can I go to church today and bless others? What can I bring, what can I do? How can I serve them during the week so when they show up, everything's wonderful for them? And I'll tell you what, when you're doing that and you're using the gifts and talents that God's given you, passion starts to grow and you find out that it really is fun to what to give it's fun to give and to give to others and see they blessed them being blessed so the second passion killer is an unused talent so if you don't know what your talent your giftedness of God is ask him and then say Lord how would you have me to use this giftedness to bless the others in the church that you have given me, or to bless the community or anybody else. Next one, number three. This is a tough one, but we all unfortunately know this one way too well. Third passion killer in our life that we have to get rid of before we can really serve God is this, an unconfessed sin. Man, it just makes you hear things, doesn't it? Everyone say hi to Sarah when she comes in. an unconfessed sin you see this one is so huge but because when we have an unconfessed sin in our life now some of you may be thinking of one as i'm speaking right now right i can see your faces like oh he doesn't go there right an unconfessed sin will rob us of joy it'll rob our confidence in serving god because we know we're supposed to lay everything on the altar but we keep crawling off the offer altar and taking the sin back and holding control of it right with unforgiveness or with whatever we're doing it robs us of our passion and it makes us have a sense of guilt and shame instead of passion and here's the crazy thing you can't have a spirit of guilt and shame a spirit of passion and love at the same time can you you ever try and do that oh I'm miserable but I just love the Lord it doesn't work right we know when we have a miserable spirit you know we know that I mean Christy and I have had those times in our life as a married couple where something happens we just kind of snap back at each other and we got to go back and be like, uh, I'm sorry I'm having a bad day or I got a hangnail or something, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to take that out on you. I, you don't deserve my criticism on you because I'm frustrated or upset. Right? But we know it. And you know when you have that spirit of guilt and shame in your life, right? And we got to get rid of that because it can't coexist with a spirit of passion and love. Psalm 38 We'll be in Psalm 38 and 1 John 1. This is uh, King David speaking about the guilt of his secret sin. And the crazy thing about King David when he did this secret sin that we probably all know about, when he did it and he tried to cover it up thinking, well, it'll be okay. All that that secret sin did was compel him to do more and more and more what? Sin. The secret sin of of lust that he had, of of self-gratification that he had, led him to try and deceive someone. And when that deception didn't work on the person, it led him to kill that person. What a horrible thing. All because of unconfessed sin. And then when the prophet comes in and tells David the story about, you know, there was a, 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 a poor farmer who had one little lamb. And there was a great wealthy man who had hundreds of lambs. And yet, when it came to feast time, the great wealthy man, instead of taking from his own flock, went and took someone else's lamb. And King David is infuriated, right? And then the prophet says something very convicting. What does he say? You're the man with all the lambs. You're the man that took the other man's lamb. And David's heart is crushed because he's confronted and convicted by a sin and we read this about what he says about that conviction of his own personal sin unconfessed sin in his life in psalm 38 verses 4 and 6. he says my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear anybody relate with that you have an unconfessed sin it just weighs on you and then he says i am bowed down and i am brought low and David is bowed down and brought low, not in worship, not in praise, not in, not in bowing before God, but he's brought low by the weight, the guilt, the pressure of the unconfessed sin. And that's what unconfessed sin does in my life. We can't have that passion and that joy because the weight of that sin is just bearing down on us. And we have to confess it and get out of that. Anybody in this room ever use a computer in our modern age, right? You ever be using a computer and all of a sudden it just crashes? Maybe more than once for some of us in the room, I guess, from the sounds of that. It just, everything is just gone, right? It's just wiped out, gone, shut down, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's kind of what unconfessed sin does to our spiritual life. It just crashes us. It brings us down. So what we need to do is fix the problem quickly to get this issue of an unconfessed sin out of our life, to get the guilt and shame out so that we can do what? We can put in the passion and the love of God. First John 1, 9 says this, this is great news for us if we have unconfessed sins. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he being God, can be trusted to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness well that is a cool verse right if conditional if we choose to confess our sins god is faithful god can be trusted not only to forgive us our sins but what else does he do he cleanses us of all unrighteousness which opens the door for love and passion and contentment and joy to come back into our life We sometimes make life way too hard, right? Because we hold on to these unconfessed sins for some stupid reason that I do it too, and I still don't understand it. But it's confessing it to God and saying, God, just take it away. This burden is too heavy for me to bear. And like King David, it's just weighing down on me like a massive stone. God, just take it away. And when we confess that God takes it away and then cleanses us of all unrighteousness it's a beautiful picture so if you have unconfessed sin this morning before you leave reach out to God and confess that and just say God take it from me take the burden take the weight take the shame take the guilt and replace it with your holiness with your love with that passion reignite that refiner's fire in my life that once burned so bright and clear like we just sang a little bit ago, right? Fourth one. Oh, we're getting way too close to home now, aren't we? Ellen's going, don't go there, John. I don't want any more, I'm done, just let me go home. Fourth thing that keeps us from having a passion from God is this, an unresolved conflict. You know, you had a little tiff with someone, or you just don't like the way someone did something, or whatever it may be, and it's unresolved in your heart. You haven't settled it. You know, the Bible says that we are called to not let the sun go down without dealing with our anger issues, right? Without resolving conflict. But we sometimes think we know better, so instead of dealing with our anger issues and our resentment before the sun goes down, like the Bible says, we take it to bed with us and we think about it all night long and we feed it and then we begin to think about revenge and what we could do to them and no death is too easy we got to make them suffer not that I know anything about that right I'm just saying what I hear from other people right you know what I'm talking about instead of dealing with that anger with with God and maybe even the person we take it to better bed and we stoke it like a fire and we get that flame roaring the crazy thing is is the bible tells us this jesus tells us that if you are giving your offering at the offering table you're giving your offering to the lord and suddenly the holy spirit moves and gives you a little eureka moment of hey you haven't dealt with this sin issue you haven't dealt with this person you've got an unresolved conflict with them you leave your offering and what Go resolve the conflict. You know what God's saying? I don't need your stuff. It's not what I'm about. What I'm about is a pure, humble heart that submits to me. So God says, even though you think it's so great to bring your offering, to, to give to me, to give back like I call you to in obedience, which is good, don't think you don't have to do that. God says, that's really not what's important here. When you come to my altar, I want a humble, pure heart. That's what I really want. That's the real sacrifice. Because I'll tell you what, if you've got a humble, pure heart, you're gonna give anyway, because you understand what God has done for you, that he has blessed us so much we can never give back enough, right? But sometimes we walk in like the story where Jesus is with a couple of disciples and I just wish I could have been there when this happened. You know, They're outside the synagogue and again, remember in the synagogue, they had this great big like funnel thing that would go down like some kind of big tuba into the, the temple and you'd walk by and you'd throw your coins in there and the rich people would walk by and throw a bunch of coins in there. and I Feel like, wow, you're really giving to the Lord. And this little old widow woman walks by there was in a simple little coin that wasn't even a penny you're like wow she's pretty stingy isn't she that's what we see on the outside view and i'm sure the disciples were thinking the same thing you know why because jesus turns to this which one do you think gave the most and i'm sure they're proud peacocks popping up going well of course the guy that threw a lot in and again god's saying I don't need your stuff. I gave it to you in the first place. I don't need your stuff. I need your heart. And Jesus turns to him, probably blows him away. I just wish I could see the look on their faces like, uh, and jab at each other, going, We got it wrong again. Thought I had it this time. <laughs> ding Back to the drawing board. Right? Jesus says, the rich man gave out of his abundance. It didn't even cost him anything to give. He just had a bunch of stuff and he gave it easy. But the woman gave everything that she had. Who do you think Jesus was inspired by at that moment? The woman because she's like, Lord, I love you so much, this is all I got, but I'm giving it to you because you've blessed me with it so much, I'm willing to give it back because my relationship with you is so much more than this stuff. Now, as Americans, <laughs> we have a problem with that, don't we? Because we have the bumper stickers on our car or RV, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? We try and take it to the grave with us, you know, we, We do all this stuff to keep our stuff. We we build more garages and sheds to have more stuff. And I'm just as guilty, so don't think I'm talking to you. I'm talking about myself, unfortunately. I'm doing my confession now, so I can get rid of that one, right? (laughs) We think to gain more stuff is good. When Jesus says you gotta remember what's important, it's a pure heart, a humble heart, that is willing to love me above everything else. When we have an unconfessed sin, It ushers and opens the door for three emotions that come in to our lives that kill passion. First one is resentment. You ever notice when you're not happy with someone or you think they've wounded you or backstabbed you or betrayed you or wronged you in some way? First little emotion that pops in is resentment. Well, they think they're all this, but they're just really nothing. Right? Just don't like them. I don't like how they do their hair, it's terrible, right? We get this resentment. The second one that comes in is a little jealousy. Well, they probably think they're getting away with this, don't they? Well, they should come to me and apologize. I shouldn't have to go to them, they should come to me. The third one is prolonged anger. Right? You don't put it to bed when the sun goes down like the Bible says. You carry it sometimes for days weeks, months, or years. And it gnaws on you all that time, right? Job 5, chapter 2, and Job 18, if you want to be there, reading out of a modern version. Job 5 and Job 18. Job was a man who deserved to be angry, right? Job had done nothing wrong. In fact, Job, the Bible tells us that God looks at Satan and says, have you seen my servant, Job? Notice the adjective that he gives Job, my servant. Have you seen my servant, Job? He's the most righteous man down there. And here's Satan, his little anger, resentment, and jealousy, and he's like, well, yeah, because you blessed him so much. If you blessed, If you took all those blessings from him, he would not like you. You see what resentment and anger and jealousy does? And so God says, you can take it away from him. And Satan comes back again and says, well, yeah, but you still left him with his hell. God says, okay, you can take it away from him, but you can't kill him. He loses all his possessions. He was a very wealthy man, his entire family, his wife looks at him and just says, why don't you just tell God off and die and get it over with? He loses everything. He was a man who had every right to be angry, right? But because his heart was locked into God, and again, Job realized it wasn't about his stuff, because he knew the the Lord says, The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. But in the end, it all belongs to the Lord. We're just kind of having it on loan for a little while, right? Job understood that. And so he never got angry and job 5 2 says this resentment destroys the fool and jealousy kills the simple resentment kills who the fool and who is the fool The fool is the person that will not get rid of resentment, so he or she lets it eat at them constantly, and they carry that resentment with them everywhere they go, and they become just little bitter, angry people, right? And then he says, jealousy kills the simple. Well, the simple is the person that just can't get beyond the fact that somebody else has something they don't have, and it's just not fair, right? I just don't like it. So if we don't want to be simple or a fool what do we have to do get rid of the resentment get rid of the anger get rid of the jealousy and resolve the conflict because really in the end anger doesn't always hurt that other person who does it really hurt you we always think unforgiveness hurts the other person you ever see the other person well they just move on in life and go on They don't care doesn't hurt them at all And you're going, I'm not going to forgive you, and it's going to hurt you so bad. And they're going, go for it. (laughs) I'm having a great life. I know God's forgiven me. I'm moving on my way. It's the person who holds that anger, that unresolved conflict, and doesn't fix it. It's the person who doesn't forgive. It just destroys their life, doesn't it? Eats away from them constantly, and that's why it's so important. Job goes on in chapter 18, 4, and says this, again, in a modern version of the Bible. It says, you are only hurting yourself with anger well some of you want to right now say well John that's not in the Bible but it is you're only hurting yourself with anger so we got to get rid of it we got to put it behind us Christy and I have over the years of of not killing each other and loving each other and loving each other but being angry at each other and working through conflicts, kinda of came up with a real simple little thing, which we do most of the time. I won't say we do it 100% of the time, but we do most of the time. And the rule is this, when something happens in our in our relationship, we have one of those marital discussions, you know, what I'm talking about. You know, some of you that are single have them with yourself in the mirror sometimes because you're just angry at yourself. You're looking going, stupid, 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 right? We have those times we come to that point of bringing our lives back to submitting before God, we realize our issue is not with the person. It's being tempted by the devil to take it out on that person, right? That really that person is blessed by God, so we got to make it right. We kind of have this simple rule, which again, we're not perfect. We're still working on it. But it's like once that issue has been dealt with and we've had forgiveness and reconciliation, you can't bring the issue up again. Now, that sounds really good on paper, doesn't it? But next time you have that marital discussion, what is it you want to bring up? That thing. You know how hard it is when it's right on the very tip of your tongue? You just want to put that out there because you know it's going to jab them. And you can't do it. But we want to, don't we? because we've got that anger and when we're in that moment of an unresolved conflict with anger and jealousy and resentment we really just want to hurt the other person that's the truth isn't it we really just want to cut them to the quick and bring them down and pull the rug right out from under their feet and laugh right those are harsh words but we know it's true isn't it we just want them to suffer we don't want to kill them we just want them to suffer a lot right Killing's too easy it takes it goes too fast right that's what an unresolved conflict does to our life. Jesus puts our little version of our agreement this way in Luke chapter 9, verse 62. Jesus is speaking to someone who says, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, when you've forgiven it, you don't keep looking back just to recognize it or see if it's still there. You just move forward. Now we don't typically plow like they did in this society, but we can get the picture image here. You've got your plow. They start moving forward. You've got the range, you're directing them. What happens when you look back? Well, your row goes like this, right? You're not going straight to the end goal. You're veering across the field. Most of us can recognize it this way. If you're driving in your car, And you look, Tara says, I do this all the time. So I'll just confess that too. She goes, John never watches the road when he drives. That's why Christy and Tara have some very spiritual, meaningful moments in our car. They're like, come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? Because I'm looking around in the car of ears, right? And Jesus says, don't do that. Now, luckily he doesn't say we're driving, dear. It's not in the Bible. So just let's not go there. And let's let's not move things over to other things, you know? Anyway, that's for my own safety. But Jesus says, when you've put that behind you, leave it behind you. Stop living in the rearview mirror, right? Just press on forward to the goal. Press on forward. So, an unresolved conflict, forgiveness. In the Christian life is so important because Jesus says if you are free in me you are free indeed and that freedom comes with letting go of the anger and forgiving the other person and getting on with life and not holding on to that because it's so heavy and hard and there are some here who may be thinking with that well that sounds really nice but you don't know what they've done to me well you're right I may not but God does and he says forgive them when Peter thought he was so cool, when Jesus said, "How you know, how, how many times should you forgive someone?" and Peter's like seven, because the standard at the time was like three, so Peter thought he was going over. And Jesus says, "Peter, dude, seven times 70. And Peter's like, "Oh, dang. I missed it again. Back to the drawing board." People get so hung up because of what others have done to them. Well, here's, if you're one of those people, here's what I want to pose to you. What have you done to God? Mm -hmm. That's unfair. And yet God forgives you. So we should forgive others. Now, I'm not saying there aren't consequences for some things. And I'm not telling you just to let them off the hook. What I'm asking you to do in forgiveness is put them on God's hook. Let him be the one who takes care of them. In fact, God says that. He says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, right? When you forgive someone, God just says, you do your part to live in freedom. Get rid of that. Be free. Right? Be free. You put them on God's hook and let God do the judging and the evaluation. God will take care of It may not be in your time, but he'll take care of it in his time, and he may actually do something wonderful with it. Like even bring them to salvation, right? The Bible says to do what for our enemies? Stomp them down, beat them, hurt them, wound them. No, the Bible says, bless your enemies. Lord, that's hard. Yeah, but I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to help you. I want you to bless your enemies. If they're hungry, give them food. If they're thirsty, give them water. Now, that's always what comes to the first of our mind, right? With an enemy. that's what Jesus says to do that's why the Bible is so counterculture to the way we're living and that's why in this an unresolved conflict will keep us from having that passion for God can you see how that works because we just want to take them down and Jesus is saying all the time no you forgive you live in freedom you bless them you love them it's not fair but what I gave you in salvation isn't fair either but I did it because I love you and I have a passion for you and I want you to be free so you can have a passion for me back. And I'll tell you what, Christian kids who live in God's family, having a passion for God makes being a Christian fun and exciting. These other things just tear us down and that's why we gotta stop doing them and start doing the things that draw us near to God. We gotta stop making excuses of, why we can't obey God, serve God, serve others, forgive, and start saying, Lord, it's all yours. It's just stuff. And the cool thing is when I get to heaven, you got more stuff for me, right? I mean, you think you have good stuff now? ho! Oh, you wait till you get to heaven. That stuff is really good. It's primo, and you're gonna have more of it, right? Jesus talked about us building up and earning crowns in heaven. He says, don't build up your treasure here on earth. It's just temporary. Now it's all gonna get given away to your kids or the neighbors anyway, right? Be sold at some yard sale, right? But he says, build up your treasure, where? In heaven. Cause that stuff don't get stolen. That stuff don't get yard sale. That stuff don't rot and go away. That stuff is cool. So four things that keep us from having a passion having a love a relationship for God stop doing those things you know sometimes in our life we just need someone to walk up to us and say stop it right just don't do that okay I just had to have somebody tell me right sometimes we just got to hear the words so you can say it to me after the service this is a fair thing what I'm telling you if you're doing some of these things stop it quit doing it and start doing the things that draw you closer to God be free in Jesus Christ be giving loving forgiving be a joy and let God reignite that passion the same passion that he loves you with let him reignite that passion of your love for him in your life amen let's pray father in heaven first of all I thank you for those who are listening or watching or here in the service today who are so forgiving in the way I present things Lord we we know your word is truth but we're thank you we can have a little fun with the true but we pray Lord that these things that hinder us from having this close relationship with you this passion this love for you this contentment and joy in you that you would convict us of these things and we would deal with them as you call us to that we wouldn't hold on to them we would keep them we wouldn't look back But we look forward to the life that you've got for us, the ministry, the the blessings, the the service, Lord. Lord, we pray you would reignite your passion in us. Your passion that goes to any extent to bless and keep the relationship. We thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for the the opportunity this afternoon to share, to give, to be in ministry, to leave here free. Free in you because your love has covered every sin that we've ever done, and we do so for others, Lord. May you be glorified in the attitude of our heart, the humbleness, the joy, the passion, the love we have for you, that we'd be compelled to obey you, not out of effort, but out of love. We pray that you're glorified in this in Jesus' name.